welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Professor Dan Doman, and he's the CEO at Lucy, which is a leader in remote healthcare monitoring solutions for hospitals. So with the Lucy app, patients measure their own vitals and educate themselves at home, safely guided by caregivers where needed. So recently appointed Professor of Digital Transformation in Healthcare, what a title, at the Nijmegen School of Management. Dan is also active on the Dutch Council for Health and Safety, an independent body advising the government on trends in health and society. So he holds a master's degree in the management of medicine and a PhD in behavioral sciences. So Dan is both a scientist and a serial entrepreneur and has appeared on the list of the 99 most influential decision makers in the healthcare sector every year since 2016. Dan, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. I will just start by saying that is a heck of a CV. That is a heck of a collection of skills to be a health tech entrepreneur. I mean, if I could pick a pedigree, it would definitely include behavioral sciences. It would definitely in- include a, a, a master's in the management of medicine and the professor of digital transformation. There's a lot of academic theory there. There's a lot of practical application of it as well in your background. So I'm really excited to get into this. But before we begin, uh, how are you doing? How are you, sir? Yeah, thank you very much. Well, I'm actually um, I'm 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 doing quite good. So um, we've we had a tremendous year where we where we launched our, our platform in seven countries, of which three in wow. Africa. So uh, and now we see that COVID is getting into at least here in the Netherlands, where I'm based, mm. uh, is is heading to another direction. So we're getting more freedom, more things to do. So uh, yeah, that feels quite good. Actually. Turning the corner. Yeah. So where, where specifically are you speaking to us from today? I'm, I'm speaking to you from Nijmegen, where, uh, which is the oldest city actually in the, in the Netherlands. It was oh, wow. by, the, by the Romans. So, uh, and today it's, uh, it's my hometown. So uh, it's in the eastern part of, of, of the Netherlands, near, near the German border. Lovely. Well, I'm really looking forward to this and hearing loads more about this background. So I guess the way that we begin these podcasts is I ask you to tell a bit of your story and by all means, tell tell us the long version. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, actually, it was, was quite funny how you introduced me because um, you mentioned like you did this and that and, and all this kind of stuff. And that's true. But um, actually, one important thing is missing, which I, I was dreaming about when I was a little kid, and that was to become a doctor. Hmm. And maybe you know, but in the Netherlands, we have a, um, a lottery system, at least back then when I went, went to university. And you literally had to pick a number. And I had the number 4,613. I will never forget the number. <laughs> and then you just get an answer. You have to ring a phone and then you just get an answer like, okay, you got the wrong number. So you're not allowed to go to medical school. So that was like, wow. Bam. I was is, that, is that because there's just such high demand and therefore... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and since then they changed it a little bit. So, so now I think you can apply for side sideways to get into it when you have really high degrees and stuff like that. Sure. But at, at my time, it was just like, okay, thank you for your interest. Go find something else. Wow. So I was already working at a as a nurse uh, nursing home assistant. Do you say mm-hmm. that? So yep. I was helping elderly, especially with people with dementia. Hmm. And uh, so I thought, well, one of the things I was um, remembering very well was a moment that I was with an old lady. I think she was like 83 years old. 
Um, and at that time, we had some times in the afternoons usually to go to a grocery store or a shopping mall, but we were not allowed to go there with the people living in the nursing home because they had to buy their stuff in this small little shop in the nursing home. So finally, I said, well, do you know, we go together. So we went out, we went to this grocery store and she was in a wheelchair and picking all this kind of stuff. And then we were like going to pay and we got stuck at the cash register because I didn't know that there was only one way where you can cross with a wheelchair. So she was stuck and the people from the facility had to free her from her position. And well, they're mad at me. Why, why did you do, why did you go there? And then this old lady, Miss Van Kempen, she told me, she said, Dan, this was the nicest thing that happened to me in the last 10 years. Wow. And so I was con continuously thinking about, we were as nurses or assistants doing all the right things for our patients, but we were, well, taking care of everything and leaving the power of patients um, uh, uh, completely um, uh, out of it. So I was thinking, how can we use technology, modern technology? And this was 2000. One when I uh, when I finally uh, was there, but in, I think now 1997 when I started my my university, so there were no iPads and there was nothing. But I thought, how can we use technology to make these people more independent and make sure that they can live the life they want? So I went to university uh, and followed technical medicine, which was a course in management of medicine, as you mentioned, and that's how it started. Where where the combination of basics of medicine of uh, medical technology and new technologies and uh, um, uh, well, business administration or, or, or economics of healthcare came together. And well, when I was, I was, I was ready, I finished my master's, I thought, well, should I go to medical school and try to apply again? Or should I do something else? And at that time, three professors, um, there were famous professors in the Netherlands, they said, well, we, we don't, we need people that can cross the borders between the field of medicine, technology, economics, because, um, well, the way we are doing things in healthcare, and this was 2003, but the way we are doing things in healthcare is not sustainable. We will have a lot of elderly that need attention and that have care, need care, and we won't have enough personnel, um, nurses, doctors, and whatever have you to, to treat them. So instead of becoming a doctor, I then uh, started my PhD at behavioral science. And next to that, in parallel, I started my first company, Focus Cura, which was focusing on de developing um, tools, assisted living tools for elderly to, to help them live an independent life. And that's, uh, that's actually how it all started. There's loads of interesting stuff there for me. And I think the, the first thing is, I suppose, bouncing back from this lottery this dream that you had, as you describe it, which practically speaking is you, I suppose, visualizing your future and plotting a future for how you want it to be. And then obviously entering a lottery that you don't win and therefore having to completely redefine in your mind who you are, what you're about, what you're going to do. I imagine that's quite a tough moment. And it must be a tough moment experienced by quite a lot of people in the Netherlands of your cohort, so to speak, your age group, seemingly. How yeah. do you bounce back from that? The reason I ask this as well is because I think a lot of us that have even been in medicine, particularly in the UK, will have applied for training numbers and not got them. We'll have applied for certain regions in the country where they're partners wives husbands girlfriends boyfriends are and not got it and ended up in other parts of the world or 
country yeah. and different things. Like there's lots of failure associated still within, I think, healthcare, loads of failure associated with entrepreneurship and, and obviously trying to build a tech company, which is the other half of the people that listen to this podcast. So talk to me about bouncing back from that moment in your career. Yeah, yeah, I think I got shivers. I don't know if you say that, but it's it's because it's a very personal answer, and I'm glad to give that because I think failure and bouncing back is is like something that 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 I've seen in my life a lot. Also, mm. with building tech companies where doctors won't believe you, there's no reimbursement, yeah. whatever. But there's one particular thing that's for me, and I'm sitting here now in my room in in Nijmegen. I'm looking at a picture of my grandfather because he was the one that taught me this. He was doing World War II. He was in the concentration camps. He was a resistance fighter wow. in Cod. And he was in the concentration camps. And uh, because I was his oldest grandson, I, I went to, to, to the concentration camps together with him. And he told me about what happened. And what he told me in a very important moment in my life was, okay, Dan, whatever happened here, because he was never mad or, or angry. He, he was just talking about it. And, and, and well, of course, he was sick and traumatized and everything, but he never, uh, well, was angry for that. So he said, well, Dan, whatever happens in your life, um, you have to create your future yourself. And, and that's some sort of my motto um, that, w- well, we don't have to sit down and we don't need to sit down with whatever happens, but we have to stand up and, and then find other ways and other means in order to achieve what you want. In my, in my case, I want to help people. I wanted to mm. help vulnerable people and patients. That's why I wanted to become a doctor. Mm. And now in another mean doing what I do with my company, I'm able to do that, maybe even on a larger scale. But, um, but I think follow that dream, that purpose that you feel is one of the most important things. And then you will bounce back hundreds of thousands of times. But uh, it's, it's, it's not how you bounce back, but it's more how you stand up. Yeah, it's true. And I think it, it is one of those things that always comes up with people on this podcast. It always comes up with successful people. Successful people have not had multiple green lights the whole way and doors just open for them it's almost like that that isn't what success is that isn't what success looks like it is statistically impossible to just have greens the entire way to a point of however you define success of happiness contentment financial like whatever it is just statistically of, of the chaos of the world there is always going to be failure that you run into seemingly and i you know i had it too you know i i i, I remember i remember actually um, I, in a similar way to you, n- not your lottery number didn't come up when I went to collect my A-level results. So when yeah. I was 18, like my A-levels, um, it was the first B I ever got in my life. So I was a straight A student and I got one B in my entire life. And it was the one that counted most. It was chemistry at A-level. The one yeah. that they say is the one you need to get to medical school. And in that moment, I, in my mind had failed like 18 18 years of life like gearing up to this one moment of collecting my results ringing the university and getting in and going to medical school blah, blah, blah. and in that moment i'd lost it all and yeah. for for a period there like it was literally like the end of the world um i was fortunate in a way because when i rang the university they were like doesn't matter you're in anyway and it was like oh well okay so it's not it's not the same as bouncing back but 
I think that that wasn't very good for me. If almost yeah. if I could do something, I would almost make me have to pay for that because then when I got to university, I was very lax with studying and exams and I started to fail exams yeah. because I hadn't been kicked up the backside at that point. I was only kicked up the backside later when it mattered more at university when I started failing exams and then I had to buck my ideas up later. And only then did I start to learn about failure. And then it was not getting certain training jobs that I wanted or not getting this that I wanted. And, and like, it, it was just the constant theme of, of having to bounce back, but it builds that resilience and it shows you that there's more than one path in the world. There's more than one thing that you can do. And you often have to be chucked into those different lines. No, and I, and I think what's funny about it as well is that, well, when I, when I uh, was ready with my master, I finished my master, I, I started my own uh, company and everybody was saying to me, because it was just like, I was, well, having nothing, I didn't have money, I didn't mm. have uh, a house, no kids, no, no mm. nothing, no wife, I was just me and myself with a dream and an idea. And then everybody said, well, don't start your own company, uh, first start to work at a big company. I had a, a, um, could work at a consultancy company or whatever kind of offers I had. I said, well, do that. Wait five or seven, seven years, learn how to do it and then start for yourself. But I thought, well, I don't have anything. So whatever I can try. And if it won't work, I can always work. There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose. Mm. So that's how I started with, well, the first two months that was in Amsterdam. I I was in Amsterdam at that time. And in Amsterdam, the the municipality had an option that you can get two months of, well, funding for your loan Mm. if you wanted to start a company. So uh, I got that and uh, I worked out my business plan and started to find my first customers in in a home care agency in in Utrecht, in the Netherlands. and, And well, then we started. And um, well, from there on, step by step, not thinking too big. That's that's one of the things I see today every time. Well, yeah, we want to be the new Google or the new Apple. Well, good for you, but just start, just <laughs> do something, and yep. and then whatever comes later. So we that was how my career went on. So I with Focus Cura, finally we had about about one hundred thirty thousand um, elderly that were using our our tools, our, wow. our uh, things. And then at one time, I, I remember it very well in 2011, um, the iPad was just out in the Netherlands. Um, it had a camera, so it was the, the second one. And, uh, and we had the vision or the idea, can we use this in order to make this older people more independent? So um, I was already talking a little bit with Apple and, and we had some connections there in the Netherlands. So I said, well, I'm going to Cupertino. And... Um, for a, 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 a trip, it was mm. like a, 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 we were going to visit all kinds of Silicon Valley co- companies with a, a course. I said, well, is it possible that I can go to Apple and, and visit them and see a little bit how they do things? It was like, well, you can always ask. <laughs> so he said, send me a meal and dropped him a meal. And, and, and then I, I got, he got back to me. I said, are you sitting? I said, why? I said, well, our global worldwide healthcare director himself wants to meet you. Wow. And he was hired by Steve Jobs personally. So, um, so I went there. Like you can remember, you can imagine it was like, wow, what's going to happen in this very big building? And it was very special. We entered the room with this guy. He's a very nice guy. He's still uh, actually on Monday. I'm I'm having a meeting with him again. Oh, hi. Amazing. And we were sitting there, and 
they were starting like firing all these kind of questions to me, like hundreds of questions. And our app wasn't that great. And our so, <laughs> so I said, well, this is not going well. So I said, well, give me five minutes and I'll tell you my story. And either you like it and then I, you can ask me anything you want or either you don't like it. And then you throw me out of the window and I will never come back. Mm. And I told them about an old lady that wanted to dress herself, wanted to, um, to be independent. But every day the home care nurse came by. Every day they came to, to dress her, to put her under the shower and whatever have you. So one of the, the nurses, a guy named Peter, Peter Marshman, he then decided, okay, let's put the iPad with our app in the bathroom. And I will sit in the living room and she can do her own shower because that's what she wanted and she can dress herself and I will watch her. And if anything happens in two steps, I'm there. And then he did that for a few weeks. And then they, he said, well, I'm going to sit at the office in the nursing office and I'll do the same. And after a few months, she was able to dress herself, to shower herself, to do all this kind of stuff herself. And so I told that story. I said, it's not about technology. It's, it's about transformation in how we think about mm -hmm. patients and, and in this case elderly well and that was the, the starting point of a, a very intense relation which we still have today with with apple uh, wow. with a lot of stuff yeah so is that company still going yeah so focus is uh, in 2018 i thought about well the company was getting quite bigger we had a, over 150 people working wow. and and we needed more processes and more of the same and, and improve what we had instead mm. of coming up with hundreds of new ideas every day, like mm. what I like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I felt for myself a few years and I thought, well, this is maybe not uh, the, the place where even I was CEO and whatever had the status and I was entrepreneur yeah. of the year and whatever have you. I said, well, yeah. this is not where I'm, my strength is. Yeah. So I found the former CEO actually of a former uh, COO of booking.com which booking.com was found by a roommate of mine, uh, Gertrude. Wow. Amazing. And they were in the very early days. So, uh, so I found him and I asked him, well, you have done this before. Do you want to join us? And I can, uh, well, learn you about healthcare and about what we do. And mm. then finally he succeeded me in 2018 and we split off Lucy. Mm. Uh, so the project where we're doing things for hospitals, we separated it into a separate company, which is named Lucy. And last year, I sold Focus Cura, my, the shares I still had, to uh, Asa Abloy, which is a global company in, from Sweden. Um, and they have this vision about how, how they can help elderly remain uh, independent. So it was a very good new mother for my baby because that's nice. how I felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I could focus my time uh, because that's another thing I, I think, uh, which is something in my career that's about focus and, and yeah. doing one thing and, and try to, to be the best in that particular thing. So I got room and space to, uh, uh, to further work with Lucy. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it ends. Amazing journey. Congratulations as well. It, it's really interesting as what, like the, I suppose the self-awareness to, to know that you aren't, necessarily enjoying the job as much as you would be if you were in that new ideas section yeah. of what a ceo is that kind of earlier ceo or the earlier founder because the founder ceo that takes it from you know naught to 20 naught to 50 employees is very different to the ceo that takes it to 50 to 100 100 to a thousand you know it's, yeah. they're very different skill sets um, particularly when they go public and all the rest of it, it becomes very different um and knowing i suppose that you enjoy it 
one part of that and then optimizing making decisions changing your life so that you can keep doing that credit to you because it can't be the easiest thing in the world as you quite rightly point out watching a new mother <laughs> take yeah. on your baby <laughs> no and it costs some time uh, to be honest because well of course um uh, there was a lot of well people say well you're the ceo of this awarded company yeah. blah 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 and that's well, uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm a human, I have feelings mm. and everybody says that and it feels safe and it feels like, mm. okay, this is my part. But still then, and, and I think that was very important in starting Lucy, mm. together with my co-founders, of, of which Joris Janssen, who did a, a cum laude PhD, also on Stanford on human machine technology and had very specific ideas on how, on how to create a company with no hierarchy, no CEOs, no managers, no meetings, no nothing, but full autonomy and personal growth for all the people that work there. So that inspired me like, okay, can we do that? And that's actually how we started Lucy. So we have a team now of over 50 people, 18 nationalities. Um, we've just launched our four-day work week where people get five days paid, but only work four days. We have no managers. I'm not even a CEO. So people like to call me. So I have the role of external CEO on talking about what we do. But And actually last year, um, by having this completely different way of organizing ourselves, um, we were able in just five days to launch the Corona app with, with Lucy for hundreds of thousands of users in Europe, but even a few weeks later in three countries in Africa where we have no single meeting in deciding, should we do it? Where do we do it? How do we do it? But the whole team just worked 20 hours a day at that moment, um, going on in building something great because we believed in it. And uh, yeah, so uh, finally the IO idea in, in stop back and give focus Cura to a new mother and a new CEO <laughs> to continue and be able to do something else was a very good choice uh, looking back. Yeah. Right. There's loads to talk about here now, because this is all stuff that I'm super interested in. The first thing I would say is I think you're very authentically mission driven. You're very authentically purpose driven. I think a lot of people, when they say I had the cars, I had the planes, I had the status and, you know, I just didn't want it and blah, blah, blah. You're kind of thinking, yeah, well you did. I don't know. It, it seems that with yourself, you're far more interested in innovation and, and purpose and that side of things. And that's evidenced in, you could have started a company with a normal hierarchy. You could have put yourself as CEO internally and externally. You had a lot of choices there, but you, you've made some very specific arguably you know risky choices here to to try a new hierarchy a new way of doing things and something that almost sounds like you're relying on a kind of collective consciousness and a collective purpose of the people that you put together my question here then is without the traditional company hierarchy without managers and we'll come on to what lucy actually does in a second but before we do without that hierarchy and that management structure how important is it that you you must have to hire like excellence yeah. in the in the people right because you can't do that with everybody you have to hire i suppose google will call them smart creatives other people would call them different things but you have to have people that are on board with that that collective consciousness that you trust that have ability that have all those different things yeah so so that's 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 
I think it's it's very important, but maybe my answer will surprise you a little bit because what we tend to do in a lot of companies is that we try to hire the best people. And what we found out is that you have to try to, to try to hire the people that believe that you believe. So we are very much selecting and recruiting people in a very completely different way with, with we have um, introduction days, for instance, where people can meet us and we can meet people people and we we of course we try to find people that have some certain skills and we we want to have a minimum level of skills, but we believe that skills can be learned. Mm-hmm. And more important is that that the values we have and there are three values we we everything we do are aligned around those values that we try to find people that believe in that values and and um, and these values are freedom sparks energy. So uh, we believe that we want to give you freedom. We want to trust you um, with whatever choices you make. Uh, so for instance, we have a 4% budget for every employee for their yearly salary to spend whatever they want on personal growth. So they don't have to ask for approvals or plans or whatever, just do it. And we trust you that you make the right choices, which is good for you and good for the company. So the second value is courage for integrity which means that we say, okay, even if there are hard things to discuss or uh, things that don't work out as we have planned, even if that means that maybe it's better if you go to work somewhere else, we dare to say it. Mm-hmm. And we also do that with customers. So um, so that's a very important one. We even have the fuck up of the month every month where everybody uh, gets awarded <laughs> for the biggest mix- mistakes they have made, for instance. Nice. And the third one is grow to last. So uh, we don't make choices for the short run. We are here to, to grow to last. We want to, to, to be here. And growth in itself is not a goal. So, of course, yeah. we want to achieve uh, impact and we want to reach as much as people as we want. But, but that comes in a long run idea. So these values are very important to the whole team of Lucy. And these values we also use in selecting the right people. And then, of course, sometimes you miss, miss out and you're not right. And then we, we are open. But, um, but it's a completely different way uh, to do that. Yeah, you're, you're optimizing for attitude, aren't you? You're, you're finding people yeah. with the right attitude that then as part of that attitude, they have a thirst yeah. for knowledge, a willingness to learn. They yeah, will find creativity and freedom, etc. Yeah, and what's quite funny is that I was just before the, the podcast started, I was writing the last chapter of the book. I'm writing a book with Joris and my co-founder and, and three guys from the, from the Special Forces. Because we found out that even these guys, like you have the Special Air Services uh, uh, type of guys, that they're absolutely very good in what they do. They're highly trained, they're highly professional, etc. But before they start and they are selected, um, and uh, th- then they select and they recruit on this attitude, on their beliefs, on what they want to achieve and their willpower to never give up. And so we found out there are so much similarities between how they operate in a completely different world. Um, and I'm not a Rambo. I'm not, not <laughs> I won't even. I'm just imagining your assessment centers are just like <laughs> full of like Rambo people just trying to drill these people into like submission. And then whoever survives gets to, gets a place. Yeah, something like that. No, so <laughs> it's, it's a completely different uh, field and a different way. And I'm not pretending that I'm, and I'm nearly to what they can achieve. But the whole idea with we find out is that, that when you organize yourself 
around rules, around other ways of working together, around attitude and values, uh, then you can achieve, well, yeah. super, super cool things. So, yeah. Incredible. Love it. Yeah, so so much I love about that. And honestly, I could talk to you about just that all day, but we should probably talk about some health tech, yeah. given that this is a health tech <laughs> podcast with our like 12 minutes left. Um, although I do know that this is super fascinating for our audience. Um, so let's talk about Lucy. I was going to say, how did you come up with the idea? It was more you splitting off this part of what you were doing previously to then set this company up. I'm interested in that kind of the practicalities around that initially, but tell me what, what it is, what's the product. Talk me through yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So the whole idea with Lucy is that we, um, we give patients the possibility to uh, keep track of certain values themselves, vital signs, uh, questionnaires, how they feel, uh, they can educate themselves, get self-management tips, and they can communicate 24-7 very easily with care professionals. And the idea of that was that when we had a lot of elderly using our, our applications and tools in Focus Cura, we found out that they were having multiple chronic diseases and they have to go to the hospital all the time. And one guy told me, Mr. Bremer, he was our first customer at Lucy, or user, actually, I have to say. He said, well, uh, I have to go to the pulmonologist for my COPD all the time. And even though it's a 10-minute visit and they ask me some questions and then I can go home and I hear everything is okay, for me, that means I have to go to the hospital. I have to organize it. I have to take, uh, ask my daughter to bring me. Um, it costs me all my energy, so I cannot do anything anymore the rest of the week. And also, I have a, a, quite a lot of infectious when I meet other people. So in, in often, I also get sick after I visit the hospital, get a flu or whatever. So that was the idea. So can we change that? And by getting trend information about how all the people are doing, change like the idea of, okay, you have to come by for a, of a checkup, a regular checkup visit, uh, once in six weeks or once in two weeks or once in six months to you have to come by if it's needed and otherwise if you have questions we can communicate over distance um, and we follow you and that's how it started with lucy with copd heart failure patients typically older people with chronic diseases and today we have broadened that to over 40 different disease areas from oncology to um, we have, for instance, a project running where babies from the NICU, so the intensive care unit for babies, can go earlier to home um, with an iPad with our app on it, which where they are supported and regularly checked up by the hospital. Um, we have oncology projects where people with, with uh, different forms of oncology or, or cancer uh, can, can be treated at home as much as possible. Um, we have post-surgery for orthopedics, for instance, where people are helped to get fit into the hospital. Then they will have their treatment, their, for instance, their surgery. And when they're home, they are guided in rehabilitation and also checked up whether there are no complications. So all these kind of different settings, which we actually co-create together with medical doctors and nurses. So we built the technology, very generic platform where you can choose wearables, questionnaires, put in videos or whatever have you, build your algorithms in our artificial intelligence. So configure who needs to be alerted or what action should be taken at what moment in time. And then, uh, yeah, you can start using it for your, your patient group. Yeah, really interesting. And 
let me tell you why I find this interesting. So I know a lot of digital therapeutics companies that allow patients to report what they're doing, um, you know, patient initiated follow-up, that kind of thing. It's part of this whole, this new wave of, I suppose, asynchronous communication, right? The yeah. fact that why should we have an appointment now and then six months time and six months time and six months time, because that's horrendously inefficient when you just want to give longer appointment times to the people that actually need to be there yeah. and keep the well people at home. It's very straightforward. The benefits to the patients, the benefits to the clinicians, the benefits to the system. It's sort of, it's sort of obvious as we sit here in the year 2021, like why, why haven't we been doing this for a long time? It feels bizarre that, yeah. you know, technology's at the point now where you just kind of think this surely lends itself to, as you've described, a platform that can do this across multiple conditions, whereby it's almost like a no-code solution for the clinical team, isn't it, right? They drag and drop and build what they want the process to be. They can bring in wearables where they want. They can bring in AI where they want. They can set the parameters of when and where, then how they want to be alerted for different things. Because then you do get a platform that can cover lots of different things. It's interesting as well for me, you know, I did a neonates placement um, and, you know, we were a level one, two and three unit. And so you'd see people, you know, go down the levels before they went home and and all the rest of it. You did, you did often think like, surely the people at this bottom level, most of them could just be at home because rarely do they ever get escalated back up and, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting. You know, you could even see and feel it there because the amount of, I mean, the amount of money a NICU costs for a hospital as well. You know, you th- yeah. every, every percentage point makes a huge difference. Um, bed days, capacity, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I think what's, what we do quite different than, than a lot of other companies. And, and that's also my personal belief. And maybe the reason I, I did to become a doctor, that's, that's why we do it that way. But so I found out in my work as professor and in the research I do, even in my PhD, that finally what happens is patients, really most patients want to try this. Even we have projects in Sunderland in the northern part of the UK with people that are not very digital literate or, yep. or how do you say that they're older, they have never used a computer and they really want to have this kind of services because they want to feel the trust of doctors and nurses yep. looking after their back. But what happened, and that's what COVID changed, but what happened is that nurses and doctors, if this patient said, hey, I read about this project, I want to do that. And then if the nurse or the doctor says, says, well, it's a nice project, but I don't think it's for you, then the patient won't do it in most of the times. Yeah. But the other way is also true. If the doctor or the nurse say, hey, this is a very good means for you to stay connected and we can keep track of you, then patients will love it. We, I guarantee you. So what's important in implementation of this kind of technology in healthcare is it's, of course, there's reimbursements and there's EMR integrations, which we have to solve and we do. But more important is that in that specific moment in the doctor's office, where it's a nurse or a doctor, and he makes the choice to advise or not advise this to his or her patient, he or she should believe in that this technology will help him or her clinically. So we put them literally we give them the buttons or the Lego blocks, what we say, yep. build your clinical pathway. You're the professor. You know what your patients need. And of course, we bring in experience from patients and 
We now have over 20 million registrations in our platform. So we have a lot of experience of what, about what works and not. What we create is community together with doctors and nurses where they exchange their ideas and their digital care pathways. We call that Lucy Specials. And we even give them back a little bit of revenue for what they created so, can, so they can do research or continue creating it. And what we see today is that, and I'm quite, quite proud about that, is that we really have now, now see that there's a community of doctors and nurses in more than one country that together work on, on this digital health programs. And we provide them with the technology and the platform. And for COVID, for instance, we had post-COVID program launched in a few days um, together with a group of pulmonologists. Um, and we were able research show to um, uh, uh, early discharge patients with over 11 days, saving up to 150,000 euros in the Netherlands. So we set up a Zoom in, literally on Zoom, like we, hmm. how we talk now, Zoom in. And we just set up the Zoom in. We invited doctors in the Netherlands can you tell us what you do and how you do it? Can you tell it, can you tell it to other uh, doctors? And the Zoom in got bigger and bigger. And finally, it started in the Netherlands. Then doctors from the NHS joined in Ireland and even now in Africa. And the funny part is where it started for COVID for a lot of these breakthroughs, because that, then there was a reason to do it. And they experienced what it means. Now, for instance, in Ghana, we started with COVID because, well, they really needed it. Now they said, well, we do this with COVID. We can also do it with diabetes. And hey, you have a great diabetes project running in the Netherlands in five academic hospitals. Can we use that knowledge and algorithms? We do it for uh, gestational hypertension. Um, and so, yeah, then you really go beyond the technology and, and, and really create a movement. And that's, that's what we are all about, I think. That's what we dream. I love it. Yeah. I love it few things that I want to talk about here. So uh, here's something that I've never said out loud to anybody. At one point, a little while ago, I started writing a book and it was called The Laws of Health Tech. I'd run a couple of different health tech accelerators by this point, and I'd seen so many people, hundreds, possibly even thousands of, of health tech companies and entrepreneurs and people trying to get a solution into the healthcare system, the UK, the US, Israel, Germany, I'd seen so much of this going on that there were patterns and there were patterns amongst the things that people did very well. Now I'm interested to, I will ask you this after I've had my monologue here, whether how much of you, how much of this came from an academic perspective as, as the way you set this up, how much of this knowledge came from an academic perspective, but you've hit on a couple of, I suppose, the chapters that I would have written about had I actually written about this. So one of them you mentioned, obviously finding the person in the chain that controlled the decision, the key stakeholder, if you will. Because for any path to, to sale, there's a user, there's a customer, so a buyer, but most importantly, there's a key stakeholder. And in a hospital, that's often like a senior registrar, a senior registrar that has all the credibility down to the first year doctors, but similarly, all the credibility upwards because they're just about to be offered a consultant job and they know the board and they've got influence and they make decisions. And you, you knew that you knew that you knew to get the key stakeholders on board who were clinicians. You also knew that clinicians sell to clinicians. You talk about those zoom ins that you were doing for people to join because they don't want you selling to them. They just want to hear it from a, a fellow evidence-based 
clinician that, that, that has no skin in the game that they can trust. And that's how you're going to make your sales, which again, an incredible, definitive, very deliberate point made there, which I think is interesting. The other one is a fair business model. And I think this is really interesting. The fact that you gave some kickback to the people that would, or it would almost get them, it's another reason for them to get over that initial hurdle of adoption. Adoption obviously being the most difficult part, getting them to start, getting them to just do it, making it as simple as possible, but then actually giving them a bit of an incentive as well, that little kickback. But also that led to community. All of that together led to community. And that's what keeps the fire going when you step away, which is the continuity bit. It was always the most difficult bit for me when I was in the hospital as a junior doctor doing projects, writing business cases, getting little things changed. As soon as I would leave the ward, leave the job, rotate to a different hospital, that's when things would fall over. And so the continuity bit became so important, but it was exactly the same as you. It was finding a community of people that believed in it to keep it going and, you know, keep improving it, I suppose. So my question here is though, as a professor of digital transformation, was any of that learned in theory or was, or was that you learning by doing and turning it into the theory as a professor? Yeah, I think the last, the, the latter. So I think <laughs> it's, um, well, I'm from a family of doctors, so that helped. I, I, my work as an assistant nurse, it's not a doctor, but you see how it works when you yes. work with vulnerable people. You're connected. Um, Currently at Lucy, I think there are now 15 people that are doctors and nurses working at us, also sometimes part-time. So they work as a practitioner or as a physician in a hospital. And then one day a week, they work with us. But so I think it's it's learning by doing and experiencing, but it's not easy. Um, so for a lot of startups or entrepreneurs, also your listeners now think, well, how on earth should I do that? That feeling we sometimes also have, because there's, this doctor or nurse with this great idea in the world we have today are run or controlled or managed in ways you have to keep your budget, you have to do your productivity, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to write down hundreds of things that nobody will ever read in an EMR, whatever. Yeah. So there are the two missions of building a company that's different, like Lucy, where we have freedom and creativity as, as our, our main goals. That's that's where it comes together. It ties up with, with the healthcare system where, where, where we want to free the doctors, so to say, from the robot space they sometimes have. And, and we feel and see that more and more doctors really want that. But it's not easy because also with very good intentions, there are people from IT, from management, from controllers that have to control the budgets and everything. So they also need to have their say in this. Because Correct. Finally, continuity is not only about passion and fire, it's also about, well, does, does, it, does it work? And, and can we afford it? So it's, it's, and I think that's maybe, well, I think you should really find, find, finish your book because a lot of young entrepreneurs can, can I think, learn from your, your practice in these accelerators and your experience because building a team to be successful in healthcare as, a, as an entrepreneur, that, that needs to tick all these boxes. Mm. And that's, I think, the hardest part to do. I will, I'll take that inspiration. I think since then as well, I've spoken to 200-odd entrepreneurs on this podcast. So I, I've definitely picked up a thing or two from speaking to the people that yeah. have actually done it and built the healthcare <laughs> companies. Um, maybe it should be that. Maybe I'll just summarize 200 episodes. It might be a bit easier. Um, I love what you're doing, man. Like Honestly, I think 
I know we haven't spoken about it as much as listeners might have wanted in terms of the nuts and bolts of, of, of the practicality of how it works, but I've got a very good understanding of what you do. I know the space very well, that kind of outpatient reform to allow patients to go home quicker, uh, safer, which provides so many benefits to them most importantly, but then also the system, which can then keep giving back and keep improving. I like the fact that the, the, the control is retained by the lead clinicians as to how it looks. I think you then get a very personalized, and I know that word's thrown around a lot, but a very personalized approach per geography, which is often very important, particularly in somewhere like the UK with the NHS and, um, you know, different structures, depending on where you're at, that personalization bit becomes so important. It's not a blanket approach. It's not just one condition. There's lots of things that you're doing with a specific goal in mind about early discharge and, and safe discharge as well, which I think is uh, so important. And maybe in, in, in one minute looking at the time, but um, uh, so for, for instance, in Sunderland, we found out there was, everything was there. They had a recovery at home team, which yeah. was amazing. So people were discharged and the recovery at home team would help them. They had community nurses visiting patients. They had acute Everything, the GPs, everything was there, mm. but they simply were not connected. And I mm. don't mean connected in the sense that data will flow from A to B, yeah. but we called the project when we started connecting the dots, where we said, well, if we connect the dots and we say, when a patient is discharged, it goes to the recovery at home, it goes home and the community nurse visits them. What, how can we use this Lucy platform in order to give, on one hand, power to the patients to see what's happening, and on the other hand, staying in, in, in touch. So if the community nurse is done and everything is going well, the patient is stable at home again, let's keep a virtual finger to the pulse with measurements, with education, with, with questionnaires, whatever have you, in order when it's deteriorating again, the situation, we will see it immediately, can reach out and prevent that it will happen again. And I think that's mm. that's... That's very important in our uh, platform that we can support all these use cases, whether it's a virtual ward yeah. after a, a, a hospital admission, whether it's self-care and self-management, whether it's remote monitoring for when, when it's going not so well for a period sure. of time. And that's what we try to do. Awesome. In terms of our listeners, is there anybody that you're particularly looking to get in touch with at the moment? Is there anyone that you want to hear from? Any asks of our audience? Yeah, so very nice question that you asked. Well, for, for us, um, trying to navigate, especially in the UK, but also in other places, to find these nurses and doctors that think, hey, I want to do this. I want to do something digital. I want to experience it, but I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And I want to meet other doctors and nurses that are maybe having already some experience or we can share ideas. We would love to meet those people because... Well, on one hand, maybe they can use our platform and they can use it to fulfill their own vision. And on the other hand, if not, maybe we can inspire them to, to, to look at it a different way. And uh, so that's, that's actually what we want to do, um, to find these clinicians, physicians, nurses. But don't forget about nurses because we, we're always talking about doctors and they're very important, of course. But especially in guiding patients, coaching patients and, and treating them on the long run, nurses are very important. So for someone for yeah. someone who's a junior doctor on an intensive care unit, you do not need to tell me or educate me <laughs> no, on no, how important know. nurses are. Yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah. 
Uh, so that's what we love to meet and um cool. and, and well yeah so thank you for asking cool well dan final question for me would be if anybody wants to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do so yeah so the best way is to 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 follow me on linkedin so you can easily connect me i will accept uh, your invite or follow me and uh, please feel free to send me messages or whatever i'll share a lot on linkedin also on what we are doing the other ways of organizing ourselves um, so yeah, I think that's the best way to, to get in touch easily. Awesome. I'm going to add you right now if I haven't already done so. Um, Dan, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Loved hearing about what you're doing and, uh, you don't need it, but I wish you all the best of luck <laughs> for Thank the you future. very much for your invite and this personal conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.